In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's been two and a half weeks since I gave you permission to start listening to Christmas music and put up your Christmas decorations, right? You can't do that before Thanksgiving Day. I know some of you did, but uh, in my book, Thanksgiving Day is the starting line. So it's been two and a half weeks, and I'll confess, I'm already sick of Christmas music. All right? You know, there, there's only so many classic Christmas songs, and it's really hard for a new song to become a classic. So like yesterday, I'm home all day, I put Pandora onto a Christmas station, you start hearing the same songs again and again and again, just sung by different people, right? And so when, uh, when Andy Williams came on again and told me that it's the most wonderful time of the year, the ha happiest season of all again, I turned it off last night. Enough, okay? Enough. Yeah. Whenever I hear that Andy Williams song telling me it's the most wonderful time, it's the happiest time, I think about people for whom maybe Christmas isn't the most wonderful time of the year. Like maybe, maybe this Christmas isn't all that wonderful for those who are celebrating for the first time this year without some of them. It's be all different. Maybe it's not the ha happiest season of all for those whose children and grandchildren have decided that they are coming home for Christmas this year. It's the first time that the family will be together. Maybe it's not the most wonderful time of the year for those who have gone through divorce and the holidays bring that tension back up. They have to split the day between two different families and the tension that comes with that. Maybe it isn't all that wonderful for, for families and family promise who will be spending Christmas in a church building as their home. Maybe it isn't fair for us to simply declare that this is the happiest season of all, because for some people it's not. I noticed last night all the, the Christmas TV shows are beginning to come on again this year, and I thought about all those shows. They all have somebody who's not happy at Christmas time, right? So you have the Grinch who tries to steal Christmas from the Who's and the Whoville. He's not happy at Christmas. You have Charlie Brown, you get to see him struggling through the emptiness of the Christmas holiday. You have poor Rudolph who runs away to the Island of Misfit Toys because he just doesn't fit in, especially at the holiday season. And best of all, you have Scrooge, or maybe worst of all, right? You have Scrooge who, who's a complete picture of a sour, sour bah, humbug kind of guy. He's got everything in the world. But he doesn't have the joy of Christmas, and you know the story. And of course, you have Tiny Tim, who has nothing in the world, but has the joy of Christmas and turns, turns old Scrooge's heart on Isn't it that kind of joy that, that these Christmas story characters are all looking for, that we're looking for at Christmas as well? But take out your Bibles with me. Would you turn to Luke chapter 2? Luke chapter 2. It's found on page 832 in the Bibles you have in front of you. Luke chapter 2. I want us to hear this morning the declaration of joy that is given by the angels to these shepherds on that first Christmas night. It, it comes in verses 8, 8 through 20 of Luke chapter 2. It's a story you probably heard before. But I want you to listen closely to the message from the angels and the reaction of these shepherds. Luke 2, starting at verse 8. 
But there were shepherds living out in their fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen them, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been. Now, now, you've heard this story before, I would guess. But when we look carefully at this encounter between the angels and, and the shepherds, and when we begin to comprehend the joy, the gift of joy on that first Christmas, we, we learn what, really what Ebenezer Scrooge learned. We learn that joy and happiness are not the same thing. The angels here in Luke chapter 2 don't make any promises about happiness. Not a single one. They don't say to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great happiness. No. They say, I bring you news of great joy. Now let's briefly remind each other the difference between happiness and joy here. The happiness, on one hand, is this emotion that depends on what's happening all around us, right? It's defined as the feeling of well-being and contentment. Okay? It's well-being and contentment. You experience happiness when things are going well all around you. When life is good. When you're healthy. When, when you're financially stable. When times are easy, you're happy. But joy, on the other hand, is not an emotion that depends on the circumstances all around you. Joy can't be measured by the possessions that you own or, or how well life is going today. Webster defines joy with this. It says, it's an emotion evoked by the prospect of possessing what one desires. Okay, An emotion evoked by the prospect of possessing what one desires. In other words... Joy comes from anticipating the future. It's a prospect. You're going to get it. It's coming yet. It's what's in the future instead of what's in the present. And that's really the first lesson that we learn in this encounter between the angels and the shepherds here in Luke chapter 2. They show us that joy is future looking. Right, so the angels stun the shepherds on this first 
Christmas night, they break into the darkness of that night with their bright light of their presence, and they proclaim this good news of great joy to the shepherds. And their message is that a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. Okay, now notice throughout this whole story that this good news of great joy does not change the shepherds' role or their current state one bit. Remember who shepherds are. Right? They are the poorest of the poor in this society. They are the lowest of the low on the social strata. They are outcasts. They are despised. They are unclean. They are unwelcome. Every parent prays that their children will not have to become shepherds. Nobody loves the shepherds. And none of that changed on that first Christmas night encounter with the angel. When this night is done, verse 20 tells us that the shepherds went right back out to their people. They went right back to their needy sheep. They went right back to their despised social position. Nothing's changed in their present life. And yet everything's changed, right? Verse 20 tells us that they went back to their mundane lives, but they went back glorifying and praising God. They returned filled and overflowing with joy. Why? Because they know there's hope for their future. This little baby that they just got done visiting, who didn't change their current state one bit, but it changed their future, and now they have joy because of him. Because they see a future filled with hope and assurance. They see a future that has a light at the end of the tunnel for them. They see a future where the Messiah will make all of these wrongs in their lives right again. And because of that future hope, they return with great joy, even in the midst of their difficult life. We know what that's like, don't we? In fact, there's a song that I would guess almost all of us have sung before and known. It talks about that. It goes like this. It says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, and when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with me. It is well with my soul. And though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well, it is well with me. It, it is this future hope and assurance that we sing about that gives us a deep-seated joy. And I just say it is well, even when sorrows of sea goes wrong, even when when Satan's worst hurts us, when those trials test us to the core. It is that future hope and assurance that still gives us joy when happiness is nowhere to be found. I guess as many of you in this room have sat in this room before, 
We're a room a lot like this one. And we have to say goodbye to somebody we love. A mother or a father, a son or a daughter, a husband, a wife. And as you sat in that funeral service, my guess is there wasn't a lot of happiness at that moment. Because death is a horrible enemy. And when you walked out of this room after the funeral service, your present situation was unchanged, right? Death was still a reality. The sorrow was still in your heart. The tears were still flowing freely. But I certainly hope that as you walked out of this room and the pastor did his job well, I hope and pray that you heard a message that kindled a little spark of joy within you. A message that looked into that future when, when death will be defeated once and for all. When the dead will be raised to life incorruptible. When, when there will be a new heaven and a new earth where there is no crying or tears or pain or sorrow. It's in those moments of life we stand along with these shepherds, right? And we look out of the sorrow of our present situation and see the joy of God's power and grace breaking through that. We stand with these shepherds, and with these shepherds, God gives good news and great joy in the middle of our difficult lives. And I think it's interesting that it seems to be that those who have little happiness in life, or those moments when you and I have little happiness, it's at those moments and at those people who have the greatest capacity to truly experience joy. Because it's those who know the depths of darkness and sorrow and disappointment that are most attuned to God's future promises. They're the ones that most often have the eyes to be able to see clearly into that future. They aren't distracted by, they aren't blinded by the trinkets and the, and the charms and the little happinesses of this world. That so often block the vision of true joy. Because they're looking for hope. Because they're looking for that hope. They're able to see God's future and find joy. Joy comes most clearly to those who have little reason for happiness. That's why I don't think it's a coincidence that it is shepherds who experience joy at first Christmas moment. These shepherds who have really have nothing to hope for in this life, that's precisely what enabled them to embrace the joy of what was to come. It's the same thing with Simeon and Anna, who Lois mentioned in our Advent reading, right? Read, read the rest of this chapter, get towards the end, and you hear the story of Simeon and Anna. Two, an old man and an old woman, right, who are, who are living and staying in the temple courtyard area. They're, they're old enough now that, that they have little reason for happiness, okay? Society has passed them by. We know that Anna's 84 years old. Simeon's probably close to that, to that age as well. And at 84, Anna has known her source of sorrow, right? She was married for seven years as a young girl, and then her husband died. She's been a widow ever since. And Simeon and Anna, these two who I would imagine have little happiness in life, 
They are the ones who experience the joy of seeing Jesus the Messiah. Right? Everybody else in the temple area that day, everybody else is so busy with their business and their blessing, with, with the good things of life, with the things that will bring them happiness, that they miss it. They miss the Messiah. They miss the joy. And it's seeing an animal who have nothing else to look forward to, who experience the joy of the Savior. And just like the shepherds then, they cannot keep quiet. Their joy is contagious. Once they see it, once they feel it, once they experience it, they can't keep silent. So Anna runs around that temple courtyard telling anyone who will listen that the Messiah is here, overflowing with joy. The shepherds on that first Christmas night, they go see the Messiah, they see Jesus, and we read that, and they head back to their fields, and they're talking to anyone who will listen. People are amazed at their joy. Can't keep quiet. How about us? How about you? How about me? Because really we're a lot like these shepherds. Right? As followers of Jesus, you and I, that doesn't exempt us from the hurt and the sorrow and the, the disappointment, the pain of this world that devastates us. That's the reality of life for you and for me. Life Hurts. So many times I sit and talk to people in my office, and I hear their pain, I hear their devastation in life, and I just wish I could take it away. And I can't. There's no magic wand that Jesus gives to exempt us from pain. But like these shepherds, you and I are given hope for the future. And that hope enables us to see beyond this darkness of life, beyond this devastation and pain. And we're able to see beyond that to the joy that is ours, even in the midst of our brokenness. Right? When we fully comprehend the full extent of God's salvation promise given to us in this little baby, who is born, who lives, who dies, who rises again, so that we might live with God forever. Then we are given a future-looking joy. That's contagious. And yet, how many times have we allowed that greatest joy planted within us to be squashed, to be forgotten? to be ignored, and to be hidden. How many times haven't we, as followers of Jesus Christ, lived joyless lives? Right? We get so caught up in the challenges of our current reality, some of those challenges even being those first world problems that we talked about on Thanksgiving Day. How many times have we gotten caught up in the challenges and the discouragements of life that were blind to the future joy that belongs to us? And as followers of Jesus, we gain the reputation as people who are critical and judgmental and mean and bitter. And we lose sight of the future hope that Jesus brings and we become joyless Christians. 
Yeah. When we truly let Jesus become king of our lives, as we talked about last week if you were here, we truly let Jesus become king of our lives, I won't promise you that we will always find happiness. But I won't promise that we cannot lose the joy of who he is. This community should be the most joy-filled community on this earth. And our joy should be contagious to each other and to this world around us, overwhelming a bitter and critical spirit. It needs to overflow because that's the only way joy can spread. You can't, you can't earn joy. You can't claim it. The only way to get it is to receive it because it's a gift from God. But you can plan happiness, can't you? You can schedule happiness into your life. You can, you can make reservations at your, family, at, at your favorite restaurant, and you probably find happiness as you eat that meal. You can, you can curl up in the evening in front of the fireplace with a good book, and if you're a reader like me, you're going to find happiness on that night. You can schedule it. You can plan a vacation escape with friends and family, and pretty much know that happiness is going to show up with you. You can set yourself up for happiness. Not so Joy can't be scattered and joy can't be planned. It can only be accepted as a gift from God. Hey, the story of Simeon and Anna, what did they do to get joy? They didn't do anything. They sat there and waited in the temple courtyard and God brought it to them. And God gave it to them as they held God's future Messiah in their arms. The shepherds, they didn't do anything to create the joy that they experienced that first night. It was a gift from God given to them. They are, they were, as C.S. Lewis would say, they were surprised by joy. Surprised by joy, because it shows up. Joy doesn't depend on the circumstances in life. It doesn't depend on you being successful. It doesn't depend on having a good job. It doesn't depend on having a healthy bank account and a healthy body. It doesn't depend on having children who make you proud. And kids, it doesn't depend on having parents who don't embarrass you. Okay? Joy doesn't depend on anything around you. It depends on having a heart that's able to receive it when God gives it. It depends on focusing the eyes of your heart beyond this present reality, however good or bad it might be, and seeing God's God. And seeing God's promise and knowing God's salvation. Joy is what God wants to give to you and to me. He wants each of us to move beyond a desire for happiness that's so temporary, so fleeting, and He wants us to experience joy instead. Joy that comes from knowing that this little baby born in Bethlehem has won the battle for us has opened up heaven's doors for us, and has given you and me life for today and for eternity. He wants us to experience the joy that comes from having light, his light, shine into the darkness of our lives, bringing good news and great joy. So honestly, I don't know if this Christmas season will bring you happiness or not. I have no idea. For many of us, it will bring great 
moments of happiness. Maybe, maybe it is the most wonderful time of the year for you, the ha happiest season of all. For others of us, it won't be the most wonderful time. Christmas Day, for some of us here, is going to be a painful reminder of an empty spot in your heart. An empty spot in your feet. An empty spot in your life. Know that it is those of us who find ourselves feeling trapped in disappointment, the disappointments of this world. It's those of us who find ourselves discouraged. It's to us that God specifically offers this joy. That's you. We know that you, more than anyone else, who know the power of Jesus, who make assurance in you of that. You more than anyone else can know the power of Jesus to bring peace into the turmoil of your life. You more than anyone else can know the power of Jesus to bring wholeness into the brokenness that you're experiencing right now. You more than anyone else in the middle of your hurt are prepared to receive God's gift of joy open hands and open eyes. C.S. Lewis wrote that joy is the serious business of heaven. It's what God came for. It's what he came to bring to you and to me. So this may not be the ha happiest season of all. It's okay. Because happiness is not the business that God is in. God is in the business of joy. And this is the season when God does his serious business for us and in us. Father God, we invite you to do business in our hearts and in our lives. You are in the business of bringing joy to broken lives into a broken world. And so I ask, Father, that this Christmas season, as all of us come with, with a certain amount of disappointment and brokenness and pain, and some of us come with a lot, I pray that you open up the eyes of our hearts to see the full message of Christmas morning. To see the reason why this baby was born. To see the doors of heaven open wide. To see your overwhelming love for us that will never end and never fade. To see the future hope and assurance that belongs to every single one of us. Remind us that all wrongs will be made by right again. Remind us that in you, all hurts will be made whole. Remind us that in you, we will spend an eternity in perfect peace in your presence. So, Father, for those of us who come with a broken heart, with empty hands, help us to fill our 
my heart. It's a joy that you pour in. Help us to be willing to let you fill our hands with the truth of your love and your power and your grace. Fill us with joy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can you stand with me, please? Worship team, would you come on forward? We're going to sing one last song together. It's a Christmas carol that you have sung many, many times. Joy to the world. But maybe, maybe you'll hear that word joy in the 